Here's the question. What one word would you use to currently describe life? Your life. One word. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Write it down if you've got a pen and paper. No one will see. If you've got a phone, type in. If you've not got either, just think. One word that would describe your life currently. Good. We got it? One word. I wonder what it was. I'm not going to guess. I'm going to look in your eyes and try and guess it for you. It's your word. Unpredictable. Wearying. Steady. Exciting. Hectic. Hard. Uneventful. Fulfilling. Boring. Recently, I've come across Spotify Premium. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Now some of you are sniggering. Uh, for years, we did Spotify and thought, oh, it's all right, listen to those uh, adverts. <laughs> but Spotify Premium, for a few extra pounds, well, I mean more, because you don't pay anything for uh, Spotify, do you? But for, uh, for a few pounds, uh, well, it's, I'd like to say, no, it's wrong to say it's changed my life, but it's done something quite dramatic, because... There's a whole library of audiobooks. I was up on the road on Friday and I was just uh, trying a, a few out. Bear Grylls. What a guy. I mean, the majority of the book is all about the bad things that he eats. But what a guy. Uh, and you know his one word for life. He actually says, here's my one word that describes life. And he says, Adventure. That's his one word that describes life. Do you know how Paul in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 describes life? Life, says Paul, equals worship. That's life. It's the description of it. It's what I do. It's who I am. It's worship. It's a constant state. It's what I was made for. It's what brings total and utter satisfaction. And we'll break these two precious verses into three areas as we try and understand what Paul means when he says this is life. It's worship. So we're going to go with the three points. The reason for a transformed life, the appeal towards a transformed life And the purpose of a transformed life. They're the three points that we're going to go after just in two short verses. Here's the first point. The reason for a transformed life. What's the reason for this transformed life? For this life that is now worship. What is the reason, says Paul? Well, the reason quite simply is God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. See it there in 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. 
Look, right at the beginning of chapter 12, of course, the chapter numbers were added far later on than Paul wrote his book. Therefore, says Paul, therefore is a connecting word. You know that it, it means consequently. We use it all the time, don't we? Well, we might not use the word, but we use the concept of consequently. My child is poorly today, therefore we had to give her medicine. Or, or therefore she is unable to be with us at the gathering. Josh and Emma are on refreshment rota. Therefore they bought donuts for us to enjoy a little bit later on. You see the word there is Consequently, it means consequently. It's a, a linking word. So at the beginning of the verse, we've got to ask the question, what does therefore mean? Or put another way, what is therefore therefore? You get it? What is therefore therefore? We have to ask that question because it's a connecting word. And see what Paul is saying. He's saying this this is what has happened prior to what I'm about to tell you. It's because of what has happened. It's because of what has gone on before. And then this is, this what I'm about to tell you is the, the outcome of what has happened before. Therefore, we can now live like this because of what has happened in the past. What is the reason for Paul to suggest in these few verses what the outcome of a a life of worship is? It's in view of God's mercy. What does Paul mean in view of God's mercy? I think there's two ways of looking at this. We can look in the immediate side. read those verses from the back end of chapter 11. But if you go a little bit further back to verse 31 and 32, Paul says in 31, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Speaking of the Gentiles to the Jews. 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God's mercy. The Jews and the Gentiles. And and this is who Paul is speaking to, remember? It's to Gentile believers and Jewish converts. That's the collision of people within the church. And Paul is saying, look, it's God's mercy that has brought you together. The Jews and the Gentiles do not get what they deserve. God's wrath has been diverted from them to the Lord Jesus. God's wrath has been diverted from us to the Lord Jesus. That is the immediate context of mercy. We do not, I do not get what I deserve. It's the whole of Romans chapters 1 to 11. What do I deserve? I deserve God's wrath for rebelling against him, for living a life that treats him as though he were dirt. Not the God of the universe. So it could mean, as Paul says, in view of God's mercy, it can mean the immediate context. It can mean mercy in its utter sense. Or it could mean, as we look at the whole of chapters 1 to 11, everything that Paul has been describing from the start of his letter up until now, it could mean 
the mercies of God. In another translation, it, it, it said the mercies of God. Paul uses the word mercy or mercies. And, and there's a difference. There's a little difference. And there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace, as we read about grace, it's always in relation to relieving guilt. I get something that I don't deserve. That's grace. And mercy, it's, it's helping us understand the kindness of God uh, in its totality. So mercy is helping where the recipient is in a position where they, they can't help themselves. So when Paul uses this word mercy, it's, it's the whole kindness of God. It's grace pulled in and it's kindness of God pulled in. And it's, it's God doing what he has to do because the recipient is not in a position where they can help themselves. I don't think you can show a dog grace. I don't think you can, because grace is always in relation to relieving of guilt. Dog is never a sinner, it's only human beings that are sinners. But I think you can show mercy to a dog, because you can show kindness to them. Dog breaks its leg, you can take them to the vet, you show mercy to them. They're in a position where they cannot help themselves. And here's what Paul is saying when he says right at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, look, this is it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of his mercies, in view of his utter kindness. As he gives mercy to the recipients where they're in a position they cannot help themselves. My only plea is to the mercy of God. He gives what I do not deserve. That's grace. I do not deserve his goodness and kindness and forgiveness. That's grace. And he doesn't give me what I do deserve. That's mercy. And in the context here, in view of God's mercy, Paul's saying, it's mercies. It's all of it. It's mercy, it's grace, it's kindness, it's love, it's forgiveness. It's the whole of Romans 1 to 11. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. We deserve his wrath. And he gives us mercy, kindness, forgiveness, love. Remember the story of Napoleon? I told a a few weeks ago a mother approached him seeking a pardon for her son who had committed two offences. And Napoleon says, justice means he must face execution. And the woman said, But I do not plead for justice. I plead for mercy. Napoleon says, but your son does not deserve mercy. And the mother said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And Napoleon, in his parting words, said, well, then I will have mercy. You see the reason For a changed life, Paul says, is all because of God's act. It's all because he's the one who says, I'm going to give what these people do not deserve. And I'm not going to give them what they do deserve. 
which is my wrath. Oh, life is all based upon the mercy of God, says Paul. The reason for a transformed life equals in view of God's mercy. What a kind God he is. What a kind God he is when we see ourselves in the light of Romans 3 that there is no one worthy, not even one. Paul says life is transformed because of God's mercy, because of his act. Second, the appeal towards a transformed life. And there's two points in the appeal towards a transformed life. There's two points within this second point. Follow with me in those verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, there's the reason to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the appeal. Here's the the urge. You see the words there? I urge you, brothers and sisters, Christians within the church. The bowler steps up. Johnny Reed, the opening batsman, faces the bowler. It's a tricky one. And he thinks he's got him. LBW, that's leg before wicket. If you don't understand cricket, it's kind of me. Don't really get it. But uh, Johnny Reed informs me that's what it's all about. And Johnny Reed is standing there trying to fend off this, this decent bowl. And the bowler hits the pads and he appeals. I was going to say to the referee, it's not a referee, it's an umpire. And they make all sorts of noises, don't they? That's the appeal. That's the appeal. And Johnny Reed waits. And the bowler screams again, and waits for the umpire's decision. See what Paul is doing here? He's appealing. He's urging to the brothers and sisters, please, oh, please get this, dear friends. Come on. Oh, come on, let's go again. Get this. What is this appeal? What is this urge? Well, it's twofold. Here's the first, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've seen the reason. We've seen how this is possible. Now here's the appeal, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The appeal based on the righteous standing before a holy God. Not on works, not on your ability to win your position back before God, but because of his great mercy. So now offer your body, says Paul. What does he mean? Well, in the church in Rome, Paul is saying, look, you can either serve yourself, and that's to the disadvantage of others, or you can serve God for the benefit of others. More on that next week and in the weeks to come as we see a life of worship lived out in community. But it's also in the context of Gnosticism. At that time, Gnosticism is gripping, especially the Gentiles' views and understanding. As Paul put pen to paper, this is what Gnosticism taught, that knowledge, and especially kind of mystical knowledge or a a supernatural knowledge, was all that mattered. The idea was that the soul was secure. What you did with the body did not matter. The soul was counted as something which could not not be terminated uh, by the deeds of the body. So so go and live. But you see, Paul is saying, I am saying this is Christian thinking, that, that matter really matters. That the body really does matter. What you do with it is of great concern to the one who created it. 
Paul uses the language of the priestly culture in Jerusalem. And the Jews who have seen the smoke rising as the sacrifices have been made, the smoke arise and ascending to the clouds. The Jews know that bloody sacrifices have been made, needed to be made by priests. But now that has all come to an end. It's been superseded by the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. That's Romans 1 to 11. And so in Romans 12 verse 1, as as Paul uses this language, he's saying the once for all sacrifice by the Lord Jesus means it's possible for his people to offer their bodies. And the word bodies is, is encapsulated by this word entirety. Everything about you in grateful service to their merciful God. Everything about you, your entirety, the sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice. Oh, how strange this will have sounded to the Jewish converts at that time. A living sacrifice, sacrifices were killed. A poor means of self-giving, alive, intentional, purposeful, not hard-hearted or with reservation, wholeheartedly. A living sacrifice. As we find out later on, it's to be holy with bodies that have been redeemed and pleasing to God. Not in the ritual detail as the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but in sincerity and integrity to God. Paul describes this reactionary way of living as true and proper. It's logical. It's logical, says Paul. God, the creator, has created us. God has saved men and women through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has bought us at a great cost. So what can a saved people offer to God that would be fitting? Sacrifices are no longer needed because the great sacrifice has happened. Paul says, here's what you can offer. Yourself. Everything about you, not gold, not silver, not animals slain on the altar. Everything about you can be given in worship. There's a story of the small boy. We don't do it here at Town Church. We don't pass the offering plate around. But in most churches still, they would. We just say, go online if you want to give to the church. You're very welcome. Uh, And we would love and put your money to uh, good use. But we don't send uh, an offering plate round. But the story goes as the small boy listened to the sermon on Romans 12. uh, And the the clink of coins fell into the plate. And and the shuffle of notes as they went into the plate. And the plate usually passed him by. Of course, it was mother to father and then on to the other adults. But the little boy took the plate. And he said in a small voice to his mum, I think this is what it means. And he put the plate down and he stood in the plate. And of course, I think his mother gave him a clip around the ear and said, don't be so stupid. But you see, the boy got it. What can I give in light of what has been done for me? Paul says, not sacrifice, not gold and silver, but yourself in the offering plate, your entirety. 
everything about you. There's the first appeal. As the bowler goes up to the cricket umpire, as Paul goes up to the church, come on, church, get this. Get this in light. In light of the reason, here is a response. And the second response, if the first is to give ourselves as a living sacrifice, the second response is do not be conformed, but be transformed. You see that in verse 2. Do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here's the positive. Go and be a living sacrifice in light of what God has done for you. Here's then the negative. Deal with the negative. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not go back, says Paul. Do not be shaped by. Oh, how often do we get sucked into thinking of this world. What this world has to offer. This world simply means this age. World equals age. Our thoughts can be so easily corrupted, so easily tainted by the age that we live in, the age of Adam, it's known as as well elsewhere in the Bible, rebellion against God. It's where sin rules in death. And of course, it's always in different ways and in different guises, depending upon the age that we live in and depending upon where the temptations are for us. Where sin reigns, it shapes people after the likeness of Adam's rejection of the creator king. And Paul is saying, well, you've been saved from that life. But we know in Romans 6 and 7, there's still a pull. You see, this passage, it demands that I reflect. I reflect on what is trying to conform me back to my old ways. What is it? It's impossible in a sermon to pinpoint areas of sin that are so tempting at times to fall back on. Impossible for me to pinpoint that for you. That's the Spirit's work as you ponder. Is it a desire to be liked by others? Paul says don't conform. Is it ambition to be better than others? Paul says don't conform. Is it a lust for others? Paul says, don't conform. Don't conform, but be transformed. The word of God has brought you into a a place where you have been handed over to the gospel of Jesus. You've been been baptised into Christ. It was Johnny that preached on Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, you have the Spirit of God in you. Paul uses this concept. Uh, do not conform, but be transformed. He uses the idea of being transformed as a, as a, a one-time moment, but also an ongoing moment. <laughs> a one-time moment, but also an ongoing experience. 
but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds, remember, meaning the thing that makes you you, your fundamental identity. The Spirit's work is one of transformation. You've been transformed. Uh, That's it, once and for all. And yet there's a continued renewal by the Spirit, making you more like Jesus. You've got everything in Christ, Paul has been saying. You have been transformed. Your mind has been renewed. So go back to it, remember it, but also the Spirit's work is to keep renewing it. It's like our purpose statement as a church. You remember the beginning of it, and it's been brilliant to read the survey results. Those of you that have filled in the survey, uh, the first question was, do you agree with our purpose statement? And the purpose statement has been, and always has been, a people who have been and are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. Have been and are being. Paul uses that idea, that concept, by saying the renewing of your minds. It has been done. You're changed. And it continues to happen. Let me read you a little bit from this book as a bit of a brain break. I was going to say it's a different voice than mine, but it's not because I'm reading it. But it's different uh, from me, uh, for sure. Here's the guy, Watchman Nee. Just listen to these words. I'll read them out. I remember one day in Shanghai, I was talking with a brother who was very, very concerned with his spiritual state. He said, so many are living beautiful, saintly lives. I'm ashamed of myself. I call myself a Christian, and yet when I compare myself with others, I feel I am not one at all. I want to know this crucified life, this resurrection life, but I do not know it, and I see no way of getting there. Another brother was with us, and the two of us had been talking for two hours or so, trying to get the man to see that he could not have anything apart from Christ, but without success. Said to our friend, the best thing a man can do is pray. But if God has already given you everything, what do you need to pray for, we asked. He hasn't, the man replied, for I am still losing my temper, still failing constantly, so I must pray more. Well, we said, do you get what you pray for? I am sorry to say that I do not get anything, he replied. We tried to point out that, just as he had done nothing for his justification, so he needs do nothing for his sanctification. And then a third brother much used of the Lord, came in and joined us. There was a a thermos flask on the table, and this brother picked it up and said, what is this, a thermos flask? Well, you just imagine for a moment that this thermos flask can pray, and that it starts praying something like this, Lord, I want very much to be a thermos flask. Will thou make me to be a thermos flask? Lord, give me grace to become a thermos flask. Do please make me one. What will you say? I do not think even a thermos flask would be so silly, our friend replied. It would be nonsense to pray like that. It is a thermos flask. Then my brother said, you are doing the same thing. God in times past 
has already included you in Christ. When he died, you died. When he lived, you lived. Now today you cannot say, I want to die, I want to be crucified, I want to have resurrection life. The Lord simply looks at you and says, you are dead and you have a new life. All your praying is just as absurd as that of the thermos flask. You do not need to pray to the Lord for anything. You merely need to your eyes opened to see that he has done it all. You get that in the context. Of course, praying is a good thing when we ask him for things, but not in terms of changing us. If you're a Christian, God's done his work. He's changed you. He's done it once and for all. The renewing of your minds, it's happened. And yet there's more to come. You see, Paul is saying you've got everything and yet there's more. The more won't change you to be accepted more by God. The more will help you understand your position before him. That's what's coming. The reason of a transformed life, the appeal towards, and then the purpose of a transformed life. Finally, here it is, a life of worship. Go back to verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship, Paul says. Here it is. It's a lifestyle lived out, says Paul. Rather than an action delivered in a certain time at a certain place. Paul says it's a lifestyle. In fact, it's life. It's all of the meaning of life. And this verse has helped me no end in life. Because I used to live, and I'm sure I still do, a compartmentalised life. Work over here. Leisure time over there. Home chores over here. And Kez is smiling because she's like, does that exist, that part of your life? Holiday over there. Family time here. Time with friends over there. You see, we're so used to organising our diary in sections compartmentalising our life. Yesterday, I got up at 5.45, up and out the house with Corabel to the leisure centre, swimming. At the leisure centre, I wanted to do three things. I wanted to have my quiet time. Uh, I wanted to do 30 minutes of work, just to catch up on one or two things. And I wanted to do some sermon prep. So I knew that that time, that two hours, good time to do those things. 8.30 was to Pingle Field uh, for the football match. Set up the goals, set up the pitch. Play the game, one o'clock, back home for lunch, and I knew that I just had enough time to cut the grass. That's one of those household chores that I was talking about earlier. 2.30, triathlon club for Tommy and Talitha. It meant that there was a little bit more time for me at the leisure centre for some more sermon prep, which I used, but was interrupted a bit with people talking, which annoyed me because I wanted to compartmentalise my life because I wanted to make the most of it. Six o'clock, home for a shower, a bit of chat. 7.15, out for food with Kerry's sister and husband whilst watching the rugby. 10 o'clock, came home, planned to watch match of the day, but too tired and went to bed. I'd planned out that day. Happened pretty much as I wanted it to. It was structured. It was compartmentalised. When was God most pleased with me? Was it during my quiet time? Or was it when I had my Bible open preparing for this sermon? See, what really counts for God 
It's just the wrong question, says Paul. Stop asking that question. Stop living this compartmentalised life. I still have a mindset of, of what should I do for God? What's good for him today? How should I pay him back? What can I do to repay him back? What does he require of me? It's all wrong. It's all wrong, wrong questions. God desires one thing. You. All of you. Your entirety. Everything about you. Not to secure salvation, but to express your thankfulness for his gift of salvation. It's worship, says Paul. This is worship. It's why we as a church, it's why we don't use worship for particular things. It's why we don't use the word worship. It's why we don't call singing in church worship. Of course it can be, and it is. But the Bible stresses, and Paul here, says that worship is the whole of life. That's why Emma is not the worship leader. She can't lead us to worship. Only the Lord Jesus can lead us to worship God. Oh, she helps us to praise him. But Paul says worship is our entirety, our bodies. It's not just my voice. And I'm very thankful for that, as I'm sure those of you sitting in front of me or standing in front of me today, thankful that that's not my only way of worshipping God through my voice. Paul says, give it all back. Offer your body 24-7, live in sacrifice. Your body is your entirety. Everything you have, your brain, your energy, your hands, your feet, your heart, your eyes, ears, nose, your intellect, your passions, every bone, muscle, sinew, your emotions. 24-7, says Paul, this is life in the office, on the bus, in the sixth form, common room, behind the wheel, in the car, in the coffee shop, walking to work, in your retirement, over breakfast, every single part of you, at every single time can be worshipped to God as you offer your entirety, as you live in response to what he has done for you. This is true and proper worship, says Paul. In the old days, they used to have a sign that, come, that was put there to come into worship or worship times. <laughs> And of course, again, church gathering can be worship. And there's much to be said about how vital and important the family of God in community coming together on a Sunday, how vital that is in our walk. Yes, it's vital, but it is not, says Paul. It is not the act of worship. Because act of worship is every moment of every day. So instead of the sign saying, come worship at 11 o'clock or 4 o'clock, we should put a sign on the door that says, go and worship. Not come and worship. Yes, come and worship, but go and worship. Walk out the door on the hockey pitch by the coffee machine tomorrow morning. As your head hits the pillow tonight. Thank him for his grace and for his goodness. I think our time has come to an end. I've gone way over my time. I'm excited by these words. Challenged by them every time I read them. And I was greatly challenged. Just uh, stay with me for one more moment. I was greatly challenged on Friday uh, as I 
uh, headed up to Newcastle, you, you know as a church, and there was a, a young girl who uh, died at one of our, our sports camps at Christians in Sport this summer. I went to the Thanksgiving service on Friday. And the father was able to stand up and say, why Ellie's trust in Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. He said this, just to conclude his moment. He said, on the morning of the day Ellie died at the Christians in Sport camp she was on, there was a talk from these verses in the Bible, it's from Colossians 2. And the verses said, so then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And in her notebook, on the day that she died, Ellie wrote these words to herself. Jesus is everything. So be rooted in your faith. In Jesus. Remember when I became a Christian, the age of 22, trying to work out what to do with life, trying to work out where I should go, what should happen. A good friend of mine, he sent me a picture of a canoeist. I don't know why. I don't canoe. Uh, with these words, and you might not see them, it doesn't matter, Johnny, it's no problem. Uh, with these words, uh, as he sent it to me, as I was struggling with what to do with life. And he said, look, Lanks, your life is a priceless treasure. And it's wedged between two eternities. What are you going to do with it? Was the question. And then we met a few days afterwards. He says, what's your answer? I gave off a load of spiel. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And he said, look, look, look. Just trust him. <laughs> Follow him. Every day, life as worship, you cannot help but be in the right place at the right time if you love and trust the one who has got you, the one who has brought you back, great cost to himself. There's a challenge for me, as I think about what happened on Friday at the Thanksgiving, Jesus is everything. Go and live your transformed life. It's worship. Every moment matters. It really does. And so we'll go out that door after refreshments and we'll worship. We're going to sing of this wonderful truth uh, together of our Redeemer. I'm going to glory in my Redeemer. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to love him. I need the Spirit's help to do that every day. But that's what I want to do. So whatever word you wrote down, maybe it will change. Off the back of singing this song together, off the back of Romans 12 verse 1. Maybe it will be solidified, that word. Let's stand and sing uh, of this wonderful truth together.